We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and if you have your notes, I had a quote here by Roland McCune, but I think I bungled it up a little bit when I typed. I didn't do a very good job uh, of uh, editing it, but he's talking about the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that in, in more detail, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit took place initially on the day of Pentecost. Talked about that last week. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a once-for-all act at the moment of one's faith in Christ. It happens. It's non-experiential. You, you find out about it as you read the Word of God later. And take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12.13. 1 Corinthians 12.13 For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Okay, remember the word baptism means basically at its root, identification. When a person is, experiences water baptism in the Christian era in the church, that person is identifying physically himself with the body of believers. He's making a public declaration of his faith in Christ and he's identifying himself with the believers. Every born-again Christian to be obedient to Christ needs to be baptized, make a public confession. Maybe you've heard it in the past, at least I did, that if you went forward in a church to the front, you were making a public confession. Well, that's true in one sense, but it's not really what the Bible means. It's the baptism that is your public uh, confession of faith. And uh, here in our church, we practice immersion. Once backward, I grew. I went to a seminary where it was three times, but uh, in immersion. But uh, here, it's one times backwards, which I think is. The correct symbol. Furthermore, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is spiritual, it's non-physical. It's where the Holy Spirit, when you believe, places you into the, the body of Christ, as it says in 1 Corinthians, for by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body. So when you are saved, you belong to the body of Christ, or if you want to put it in another way, the universal church, you belong in that body, you're now the bride of Christ, you are now one with him. Forever. Non-experiential. You don't wait for it. You don't have to go through some rigmarole to do it, and you don't, and there are no signs other than the signs what would normally be of a believer. He has a new heart. He's a new creature in Christ, and old things are passed away. Roland McEwen put it this way, it is a position in which God views the believer of this age different than he regards other believers and bodies of saints. It is somewhat analogous to one's citizenship. It is, it is uh, not on, of the in-group because Okay, excuse me. It is not subjective. It is a recognition by certain jurisdiction that one belongs, that he is part of the in-group because of various legal factors 
make him eligible. By means of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, believers between the day of Pentecost and the rapture of the church are recognized by God as members of the body of Christ. They have the judicial status of being in Christ. So we're a unique body between Pentecost and the rapture of the church. We are the body of Christ. That's not true of Old Testament saints because when Old Testament saints were saved, there was no body of Christ. Yes, Ryan. Is this, is this judicial aspect that McCune is talking about, the sealing of the Spirit? That's a, that's a different... Is it different? And we'll go through all the things that the Holy Spirit, a little bit later, we'll go through all the things the Holy Spirit does to us the moment we're saved. Sealing is one of them. Baptism of one of them is one of them. And several other things. He gives us gifts and so on and so forth at the moment we're saved. It just takes a lifetime for all of these to come out, many of these things, to come out as we're living and growing and enjoying the ministry of the Holy Spirit. All right, we want to look at the next phrase, the, the Holy Spirit's work in the church. How does the Holy Spirit work now in the church? Take a look at Acts chapter 20, verses 27 to 28. <clears throat> Acts uh, 20, verses 27 and 28. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you see overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Okay, the Holy Spirit works in the government of the church. In, in Acts chapter 20, you have the incident where Paul is on the way to Jerusalem. And he's traveling by Ephesus, though he doesn't go to Ephesus. He goes to a town 30 miles away from Ephesus called Miletus. It's on the coast. And he speaks to the elders of the church, the leaders of the church. Here at Countryside, we have elders and then we have deacons. And the elders are the overseers of the church. They are the elders the Greek word is presbytos, talking about elders, and episkopos, from which we get episcopal churches, is the office itself. It's the emphasizes the rulership. So, and, and so he's speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, where he has spent some time, and he says, "Be on guard for yourselves." Watch out for your own life and for the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopos, to shepherd, to pastor the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. The church which we are in has been purchased and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's very careful, he wants to be very careful who rules the church. And uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who points out who the leader should be in a Bible-believing, teaching church. If it's not a Bible-believing, 
teaching church, the leadership become like the over, like you would pick a leader in the 4-H club, or you'd pick a leader in the Kiwanis, a Rotarian club. It becomes a club. And a lot of churches, they have term limits, and the term limits, then you can serve maybe two term limits, and then you pick somebody else, it's their turn. I don't think God intended it that way. Yes, Ryan. Pastor Ed, will you talk a little bit about like the plurality of elders and leadership and, and how that relates? Sure. Um, everywhere Paul went after he started a church, he pointed elders, you read in the book of Acts, more than one person ruling a church. First of all, when you have one man ruling a church, you're really limiting the leadership because no man, no one man has all the gifts. Right? He may be strong in teaching, but he's very poor in shepherding. When you have plurality of godly leaders meeting the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, then you have men who have various gifts, and when they meet together, then as they work things out, those who are very loving can handle those who are very, uh, tend to be very narrow, and those uh, who are good at, in shepherding can lead out those who are good in teaching and solid doctrine. You have a mix. And so you come out with decisions made by all men. I have no stronger voice technically than, than the elders in the church. On the other hand, because uh, uh, of uh, my position as the main teacher, I, I probably have some uh, gravitas that others might not have, and I'm saying that I, don't, I really don't. I really am not comfortable making decisions on my own. I'd rather have all, all of them together making decisions. And we pretty much practice, I think we follow this almost 100%, that we do not make decisions unless we're unanimous. And if we can't agree, we come to this conclusion. Either we don't have enough information, we haven't prayed enough, or this isn't God's will. So, uh, to be honest with you, we pretty much are in agreement. We have to talk things over once in a while, and my view is uh, we don't. Well, my view is we don't all have to be on the same page. You have a thumb that opposes the other four fingers. You take your thumb out of the equation. How how handy is your hand? So the thumb, which gives you some opposition, is good for handling things. Correct. So we're not perfect, we're men like uh, the rest of everybody else, but we ride, uh, we, and the thing about an elder board and plurality is that you can't become like a good old boys club. You can become very familiar with each other and to the point that it's pretty hard sometimes to confront one another. And confronting one another is an important part 
of being an elder. Being able to say, hey buddy, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. But all of us, uh, all of us and who are, who are elders need to seek eldership. This is not something we have to talk people into. If you look at it in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, he who desires, that's a strong motivation to be an elder. You've got to want to do it. We don't have to talk people into it. If we have to talk people into it, uh, they're probably not going to be a good elder. Any other questions? It's worked pretty good in this church. Yes, Thomas. Just because I'm assuming the previous churches that you were at also operated similarly. I guess I've seen like a lot of churches where there's elder burnout. You know, like elders do, to some degree they do terms because after their term they're like exhausted and beaten and worn down. And, and I, I've always thought, you know, maybe the terms were just out of a sense of mercy for their families. But have you, I mean, have you seen guys like go 30 years, 40 years without, you know, because I think that calling towards like a lifetime eldership is, is great as long as it's sustainable for the person. I came to, uh, I came to the point of elder leadership in the pastorate. I did not start out that way. I did not go to a seminary that particularly taught eldership. <coughs> I didn't go to a Bible's college that taught eldership. I grew up in a church where there were deacons. And then uh, they had a church board which consisted of every other board in the church met together. And they called it a council. But the deacons were part of it. So I did not... I went in the first church, we had deacons and trustees. And it was always a question, even when I went through seminary and started out in Hutchinson, we had deacons and trustees. And it got into a question, the deacons were questioning were the trustees doing their job, and the trustees began to question whether the deacons were doing their job. And we had some interesting meeting. So finally I said to the chairman of the elder, chairman of the deacons and the chairman of the trustees, why don't we meet together every Friday and discuss the issues of the church and look at it from the Word of God. So we spent Friday mornings going over the Word of God and uh, through some through a very close friend and uh, John MacArthur. Uh, Gil Rue and John MacArthur were very solid into the elders and so I uh, began to be encouraged by what I read from them and my friend talked it over and we went to the church and said this is we got to do this we, and one of the things that tipped it was we had nomination committees and we'd meet and we'd decide who would be the best for the deacon and who would be the best for the trustee. And then if we didn't have names left over, we had them for Sunday schools 
for Sunday school superintendents, and then when we didn't have Sunday school superintendent, then we had mission committee, and then we had usher <laughs> committee, and our church voted on everything. And we went over a list, and we picked a couple. We had to have two men for every office by the bylaw. So we picked two of the best men that we as a nomination committee, of which none of the nomination committee was a deacon or a trustee. They were somebody in general in the church. We picked a man, and then we had a church meeting. And then they, the church, a lady got up in the church, of all things, and she got up in the church, and she said, I nominate this guy. And this guy was no more qualified than the man on the moon. But he had gray hair. And he got in. This is early in my ministry. And I thought, this is disaster. Well, how is it that the poorest member in the church, as far as doctrinal beliefs and attendance, can vote out a guy who is very faithful in the word, walks with the Lord, and does everything else? And I talked to my dad about it. He said, voting in a church is a guarantee to keep a church carnal. Because you're going by the majority rather than by the most spiritual. So I presented that to my two leaders. We formed uh, one board. And we eliminated voting in the church. We lost a couple families, but we gained far more. Yes? Dr. Thomas's thing about longevity and family. Mm -hmm. We had a young man who was a phenomenal young man, very solid. Mm -hmm. And as his, his kids got older, he, he said, I feel like he took seriously that if you can't control your family, you don't shouldn't be leading the church. Mm -hmm. And so he said, I feel like I need to spend mm -hmm. more time with my kids. And so he did sit down, and, mm -hmm. and as I recall, later on, he came back on the board. But during yeah. those family years, mm -hmm. he, he said, I, I, can't, I can't give the time I need to give, which mm -hmm. appreciated you very much. Yes, Eileen. You know, I think about the family thing and, and, and the church and everything else. It's like Colossians 3, 23 and 24. You do it for the Lord. You know, if you work for the Lord, you will be rewarded. I'm not I I'm not a I'm not a strong believer that a Christian burns out. If he's doing it for the Lord, he may have to as as mentioned, you may have to change a little bit when your family demands your time or your work demands your time. Just say, you know, I need to spend a little more time at home or I need to my job is such that I need to to do that. But I, I have never bought into the position that you burn out. I think that if you're walking with the Lord day by day and you're presenting all these things to the Lord, there's no such thing as burnout. That doesn't mean you don't take your rest. It doesn't mean, as we were talking about in a Tuesday morning session, we were talking about 
what is your work week? God set the pattern. He worked six days and rested the seventh. Not that we hold religiously to a Sabbath day, but you know, you need to take time. Uh, Ecclesiastes says you could, there's a time for everything. There's a time for your family. There's a time for the Lord. There's a time for your, uh, your mates, for your children, for your work. There's a time for everything. And uh, because you take a day off now and then and do something relaxing and go fishing or whatever you like to do, play golf or just drive around the country and see what's going on or whatever you enjoy, there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of people can't do that, especially if you're self-employed. You just think you got to be there every moment, every day. That's not that's not true. You have a higher value of yourself than maybe you should have. So it, oh, you know, you you got to do your work six days or however do, but there's nothing wrong with just saying let's take the afternoon off and sit down and enjoy one another for a change rather than be ships passing in the night. Okay, Thomas. So then, just to be clear, like you've seen guys be elders for a long period of time, and it's just been, they've been really faithful, and it's worked. Like, I think a lot of us are coming out of churches where, like you said, terms and yeah. three years, six years, eight years, you know, but then, like, at the end of it, it's like... I put it this way, Thomas. I think the... The elder has passed them by. They have not grown with the office. I believe a church grows. I believe this church has grown, not just numerically, but spiritually. Probably, I'm not going to give years, but years ago you may have had a man who was qualified to be an elder, but he stagnated in his Christian life, and the church passed him by. He didn't keep up with the growth of the church spiritually. Does that make sense? And the office passes them by. And they had this for their life motto. We never did it that way before. <laughs> and if that becomes the motto, you're dead. If that becomes your motto, we never did it that way before. If that's your motto, then you're dead. And in the Christian life, you are either growing or sliding back. There's no such thing as staying at one point. Gary. But, you're, and you, but you said, Dad, like if, if you're voting in a church, <coughs> it's a struggle. <clears throat> I mean, that's what you said, right? Right. Yeah, I did. I hold to that. Voting in a church by the congregation, then you have people canceling out votes of really godly people who are really not people walking with the Lord. Right. Well, we know in the church age, just to that point, we know in the church age that there's wheat and there's tares. Um, and we have to, I think part of the focus is, do we really view the church of our Lord as the bride of Christ, which ought to be pure and remain pure? And so an aspect of, of that vote is, do we want tares voting? Um, 
No. And so it goes to you know the appointed, you know the appointing of elders in Titus one and and Timothy and Acts and various you know go find for yourselves godly men. And the other aspect, just to go toward what Tom, Thomas was talking about, I'm in that stage of kids at home and work and so on and so forth. But one of the things that I enjoy about eldership is that I know you and Bob and Jeff and you know and you know Lord willing Nate and others. We look out for each other and we pray for each other and we encourage each other when there's times of hey, maybe we ought to meet at a different time or maybe we ought to consider, you know, this or that. And so there's an awareness, there's a spiritual awareness, I feel like, that we have for each other um, to be able to notice some of those things. And, and so there's, there's definitely that kind of accountability built in. Um, and, and from time to time, you know, I'll tell Logan and Brady, you know, on the way home, like, I hope they see my enjoyment in this office and that Lord willing God would qualify them and that they would have that desire as well because it is a gift it is a it is a um, and who knows if they will but but it is a it's an office of great enjoyment I've been in uh, I've been in churches not this one specifically but been in churches where there's been an uprising by some people in the church, really an uprising. And the accusation came, the elders don't know what they're doing. And uh, so I'd say, okay, let's just go through the elders. Now the, here's, here's number one elder. Is he a nonsensical guy? Does he make stupid decisions? Is he financially able to handle it? Is his family in order? No, he's, a, he's good. Okay, let's go to three. Number two, first. How about him? Look at his life. Is he making stupid decisions? Is he known for his uh, carelessness and what he does? No. Family in order? Yes. And we go through all the elders. Now, do you think these guys together are making a stupid decision for the church? And they haven't thought it over? Is that what you're saying? That all of us who have, you would recognize as intelligent people, financially able to run our own affairs, making good decisions for our families, and they're fo the families are following these men, that all together these men are somehow coming up with some crazy decision? Well, you, you know, if you do, then you're in the wrong church. If, if that's what you think. That's why you choose men that as best as we can, who meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy, Chapter 1, or 3, chapter 1, verse 1, following, and Titus 1. And we just chose a, a, a new man who's kind of an elder in training, and we have a youth man who's an elder in training. And uh, at some point we're going to say, we want to ordain these guys as elders, and we're going to bring them before you and say, does anybody here have anything against these men? 
If you do, you go to them first and see if you can't get that straightened out. And if you can't, then you come to us. Do they owe you money? Do you know of something in the past that would disqualify them? Or they're squabbling with their next door neighbor? Or they're fighting with somebody that we don't know? Bring it to us. And if that disqualifies them, then we'll talk to them and ask them that we're not going to any longer put you up as an elder. Is that a fair deal? I think it's right, don't you? So you do have a say. And if he's walking, well, you say, well, I don't think he's walking with the Lord because of such and such reasons, and you tell that guy, I don't think you're qualified. You see, the problem we have is people are not truthful in churches always. So when they know something's wrong, rather than going to the individual, where do they go? To their buddy. Now what did Jesus say about that? If you've got a problem, where do you go? To the person with whom you have the problem. How many times do you think that actually happens? <clears throat> Most people would rather gossip about it. or Absolutely. Stir they go to the old nature. And then they cause a stir. I, I think that it's, I think that that does happen, but when it happens, when you just go to that person, it's taken care of, nobody else knows, and it's not a problem. Right. We see when that doesn't happen because of the gossip and the everything else that happens. When it does happen and it doesn't happen, okay, it doesn't happen, the guy doesn't want to uh, work it out. Then what are you supposed to do? Then you take another guy or two with you. And if that other guy and you and still is a rift and, and there's no working it out, then what do you do? Then you tell it to the church. We, we got a problem with this guy. He won't rectify. He won't pay his bill. Let's use that. He won't pay the bill that he owes this person. Then you tell it to the church. Church, we have a problem here. We got Joe Blow that belongs to the church, refuses to pay a bill to Joe Don or whatever. And if he doesn't, then do it. What do we do? If he doesn't do it, when the church members go to him and say, you need to get this straightened out now, and he doesn't do it then, you excommunicate him. And you say, what a terrible thing. You know what that does for the community? It tells the community that you have some standards and you stand by them. Because what is the gripe of most of the people about churches, the world? <coughs> They're inconsistent. They don't live up to anything. They say one thing and they don't live up to it. You know, if I haven't heard this once, I've heard it a hundred times. There's hypocrites in the church. Yes, there are. Let's admit. I like these Sunday school classes. <laughs> Don't you? We can talk about these things. 
good place to do it. Yes, Thomas. I think too it's important to know like once a person is an elder, the same rules apply. Just because they're an elder doesn't mean that now if you have a problem with them, then it's okay to gossip because they're an elder. No, it's like you still have to confront them one on one. Sure. Before you go blabbing it to a bunch of people. Yeah. You gotta give them a chance to get it right. Man, that's hard to do, it seems like. But uh not everybody is an elder, and everybody doesn't need to be an elder. We don't need all chiefs. And secondly, uh, I would say this, that if you're work, walking with the Lord, and you're growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Peter tells us to do, and you're walking and you're full of the Spirit, you may have more impact on the church than any elder, single elder may have. Just by your faithfulness. And I've seen people in the body of Christ who are walking with Christ have no desire to be an elder. Maybe not even a Sunday school teacher. But because of their faithfulness and their genuine love for Christ and people, They've had a greater impact in the church than some elders have ever had. Encouraging people behind the scenes, writing letters to them, calling them, visiting them, encouraging them in their walk. It's just unbelievable what the Holy Spirit can do with a life that's willing to be filled with the Spirit and a life that's willing to walk with the Lord. You know, I can't reach everybody in the church. And so here's another reason for elders. Every one of us have people that relate to us more than others. Let's face it. Right? For some people that you just don't relate to as well as you do to others. There's people that you meet that you're friends like that. I've got people in, that I haven't seen for years. When I get with them, it's like the day we left. And I've got acquaintances, when we get together, it's just like it the first time we met and we've got to fish around and try to find something where we can have a conversation about. But i got people that I could sit down with friends and immediately, and you do too, immediately, you're, you're a friend with them. And, and you can share your faith and encourage them and strengthen them and this is, this is the body life. This is the body life, like the times between church, uh, pouring over coffee, uh, whatever. You stand around and you meet somebody and you realize, he and I, or she and I, click. I might get together with him even more. And, and uh, that's what develops in the church and develops into body life, where we share our love with each other and with the Lord. Any more questions about leadership in the church? So the Holy Spirit moves in the church and points out these people. The cream eventually comes to the top. For you non-cow milkers, we used to we used to milk cows, and my mom wanted some milk for uh, for cooking. We take a jar in, and in the morning, it 
be a thick layer of cream on the top. And she could skim it off. So the cream eventually comes to the top. Doesn't take long to spot it. All right. Uh, so the elders are chosen. He also takes care of the teaching and preaching. Look at Acts chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. I thought we'd get there this morning, but we won't, so I'll prime the pump for next week. Next week we're going to talk about the church and music. So everybody come with your hard hat on. <laughs> Vernon McGee says that when Satan fell, he fell in the choir loft. So it's always been a bone of contention, but it says when you're filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking and making melody with your heart to the Lord. So singing and music is a part of the church. We'll talk about that next week. We won't get there this week. Okay, uh, somebody read Acts chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which he became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Wow, what a powerful sermon. When you think about it. He's standing in front of the very crowd and leaders who crucified Jesus. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit and listen to his sermon. Rulers and elders, he's addressing them. Be it known to you, he said, whom you crucified in verse 10. He's the stone which was rejected. How? By you. The builders by which uh, he became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no other name. That went over big. Yeah. <laughs> went real over. Eventually arrested Peter. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the kind of preaching the Holy Spirit gives. It's not some relational message on how to get along and feed the poor and denounce the rich. It's not the social gospel. And he's speaking this, and he's not afraid to call out sin 
and the people who are who are committed those sins. I, I when I look at that, I'm just a wimp. I look at that. By the way, uh, if you want to hear some really strong preaching, uh, get a copy of uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. And if you can get an audio of it, somebody reading it, get it. I remember Faith and I were driving home some from someplace, I think from Kansas City to Hutchinson or somewhere. At least it was a two-hour drive. And we threw that in to listen to it. And boy, we were, it was uh, dynamic. And uh, we don't have that kind of preaching in very many places anymore. So whereas Peter was inspired in the message, it's true that the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God and the mind of the teacher of that word to the audience. Whether you're teaching two-year-olds or 80-year-olds, you need to really take that seriously. You are imparting to them the Word of God which the Holy Spirit uses in your teaching. It's not just a lesson. It's a reminder that you need the Holy Spirit's aid and you need the Holy Spirit's liberty to do such before you get up there. Doesn't guarantee you're going to say everything right. You're still human. But God, the Holy Spirit, can take the word that you study and God, the Holy Spirit, can really use that for His glory and for His honor. All right? Prayers. And... Uh, Ephesians 6.18. Somebody read that <coughs> With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Okay, when all prayer and petition at all times, how? In the Spirit. In the Spirit, by means of the Spirit. That's as we talked about on Wednesday night. If you're praying in the Spirit, you're praying for whose will? God's will. We had a discussion this morning. We don't like the weather. We want hot weather, warm weather. What do we pray when we pray the weather? God's will be done. Right. And it's done. Oh, God made a mistake. He, we didn't want rain today. Nebraska, you just wait one, one minute, it'll change. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But that's Nebraska. Other places, it's different. But my point is that when you pray in the Spirit, you pray in God's will, for God's will. One other passage on prayer is found in Jude. I think it's verse 20. It's a little book tucked right before Revelation. Might be before that. Uh, I think you're right. I think it's 20. 
Mm-hmm. Is it 20? Mm-hmm. Okay. But be, go ahead, read it, Ryan, if you got it. Okay, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now that doesn't mean praying in some gibberish. It doesn't mean praying uh, some stuff like this, or tongues. It means praying consciously in the Spirit. Lord, I want your will to be done. Help me to pray. And believing he is. And we talked about it, I think, in uh, Romans 8.26 where the Spirit prays. Uh, we, uh, I think we got it on Wednesday night. Take a look at that passage. Romans 8.26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Okay, the Holy Spirit does the groaning, not you. You pray as you see fit and as you're you're confident you should pray. And sometimes the answers you get are not what you expect. But the Spirit knows what the will of the Father is. And he says, Joe Dokes over here is praying for this, but this is what he really needs. How many times in hindsight have you looked back and said, God answered our prayer in a funny way. Didn't answer it at all like we thought. All right. Any other questions or comments about prayer? Okay, next week we'll talk about the songs.